Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the world headquarters of Common Sense, but you did know that, didn't you? I've got one question for you all this morning, and I want you to give it quite a lot of thought before you answer it and before you let me know what you think the answer to the question actually is. And here is the question. What on earth are they up to? And you know when I say they, who I mean. What are they doing? What are they up to? What's going on? Yesterday afternoon, the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, gave his first press conference to the nation in months, right? And it was expected to be the first sign of a government preparing to put the country back into COVID restrictions. Before uh, he took to the podium in 10 Downing Street, uh, there was all kinds of rumours of lockdowns coming, you know, mask wearing being brought back, social distancing being reintroduced, telling people to go work from home. But as the hour-long briefing went on, it was clear that it was more of a warning shot and a nudge than it was anything else. He said COVID cases could reach 100,000 a day. Maybe. Uh, he said with hospital admissions going back to 1,000 a day. Possibly. Uh, just like last January, he said the NHS was under huge pressure. His words. In short, it was the same old massaging of the figures to frighten everyone into believing things will get worse if we don't change what we're doing. The bottom line, though, was a plea for people to get booster jabs, uh, which they're currently not doing in very big numbers, and a suggestion that we should all wear masks to stop the rise in infections. Quite how that is going to work is not actually very clear, because with the NHS Confederation warning from yesterday in the background, Tony Blair has now joined in with his suggestions that we should all wear masks again. Well, why? No one from the government wears them in the House of Commons. They certainly weren't wearing them at their party conference, and he, Tadji Javid, wasn't wearing one yesterday. He's calling for a blitz spirit, right? I don't remember people walking around keeping distances from each other uh, during the Blitz. I don't remember people wearing masks during the Blitz either. Or working from home, quite frankly. We'd never have won the war if we did that. We'll be talking to Paul Bristow MP first up this morning, who accused the NHS yesterday of trying to bounce the government into more COVID restrictions. And of course, he's right, isn't he? 0344 499 1000. Jamie Jenkins, our favourite statistician, is here as well, running the line over the COVID figures, as revealed by the Secretary of State yesterday. Kate Ferguson from The Sun will tell us all about the briefing that she was at and what's being said behind the scenes, because that's going to be key for me as to what the government is actually trying to do. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. This morning, we are told to go ahead and book Christmas parties as long as people get the booster. Uh, That was, of course, from the health minister. Well, that's all right. Let us know what you're doing, what you're hearing, and what you're seeing.
thing as well. We'll be bringing you the shortage of the day as well. So if you've spotted anything we're told is going to run out, do let us know. 03444991000. Author Helen Dale joins us too with her take on the difference between hate speech on social media and violent physical attacks and terrorist incidents. Uh, and employment law expert Christian Lay will explain why the shortage of HGV drivers has nothing to do with Brexit and everything to do with HMRC and a change in tax status. And because it's Thursday, of course it's time for the Thursday Club. Our chance to introduce you to some fine wines today in the company of Rebecca Palmer from Corny and Barrow. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let us, without further ado, uh, say a very good morning to Paul Bristow, Conservative MP for Peterborough, member of the Health and Social Care Select Committee as well. Paul, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I was sort of drawn to your comments yesterday uh, after the NHS Confederation uh, came out and said that, uh, oh, you know, we should start taking more precautions, we should start wearing masks. I mean, and I looked into the NHS Confederation yesterday and found some rather interesting facts, i.e. they don't seem to do an awful lot that has much to do with medicine. They're run by a former Tony Blair advisor called Matthew Taylor, who makes about £250,000 a year. Uh, and quite what business it is of theirs to tell people how to behave is quite remarkable. Well, I agree with you, Mike. Um, it, they're straying away from what uh, the NHS should be doing or the NHS Confed should be doing. And the BMA were the same this morning. And they're trying to dictate social policy. I nearly choked on my fried egg this morning yeah. when I heard that the BMA had uh, now joined in this chorus that we should be restricting, we should be locking down. Um, the health minister, Ed Arger, this morning on, a, on another radio station, uh, was saying that this is a sort of race between the vaccine and uh, and COVID. And we're still winning that race. We're going to need our NHS. We're going to need the BMA. We're going to need the NHS Confed, probably, in order to win this race. And they should be helping us win this race instead of trying to bounce us into more restrictions and more lockdowns. Um, and, and quite frankly, um, bounce us into restricting our our, our liberties. Yes, because my question at the top of the show today was, what are they up to? And by they, I mean the government. Sajid Javid yesterday, we all thought was going to come out with something slightly more draconian than he did. Um, and we were sort of watching it slightly in disbelief, wondering when, you know, the, the other shoe was going to drop because he didn't really say anything particularly dramatic. He didn't really warn about anything that was going on that was worrying. But he kind of said, well, just all get your jabs and your boosters and we'll all be fine. So I was kind of thinking to myself, what, you know, what is it they want us to do? What is it they're trying to give us that they're not quite telling us about? Wouldn't it be refreshing if the BMA this morning, instead of trying to tell us that we should be locking down or we should be restricting, actually joined that push for asking people to go out and get that booster jab? Because we don't want to go back to lockdown. And, and the other thing that's extraordinary, Mike, is that they're calling for all this lockdown after having the biggest increase in NH spend, NHS spending ever. Mm. What they're not answering the question is how are we going to pay for new lockdowns, new restrictions, new furlough schemes, new job protection schemes? Are they wanting to divert money that we've allocated to the NHS to, to that? Or do they want to raise more taxes? Um, they're not mentioning that, are they, Mike? Well, that's the trouble. And I mean, you know, as far as I know, the NHS Confederation, for example, is supposed to be about, you know, helping leadership skills and helping, you know, organisations within the NHS to perform better, you know, which we clearly know is not happening. So maybe they'd be better put uh, putting their uh, sort of efforts into trying to improve the services that the NHS is currently running and failing at, for example, uh, in the business of, uh, of GP surgeries, which is still not working as well as they should be, instead of telling everybody, you know, what they should be doing and what they 
they should what masks they should be wearing. And also, by the way, this whole mask debate. Tony Blair apparently this morning has now come on and said we should be wearing masks. You know, masks have been pretty well discredited as a, as a, any kind of form of, of stopping the virus anyway. Unless you're wearing some kind of surgical mask that is sort of you know weapons grade for use in surg- uh, surgery only. Well, I think on masks, it's still down to personal responsibility. And that's that's the still the advice, and that's still the advice that. Uh, lots of people take but unfortunately for organizations like the nhs confed and the bma there are those who are actually looking at statistics and my colleague mark harper yesterday pointed out very very helpfully that there are fewer people in hospital now with covid than there was eight months ago mm. and that this spike in infection is largely amongst the young and we we all know that the young and, and those at school are much much less likely to have a severe reaction to covid uh, than anyone else. Um, it just seems to me that the NHS Confed, like you said, and the BMA are far too interested in talking about social policy when they should be far more interested on focusing on encouraging people to get the jab and improving the way the NHS works. Mm, exactly right. And it has become now a sort of totally split political scenario, hasn't it? You know, where you've got the likes of, of Matthew Taylor and Tony Blair uh, and the BMA, which is effectively a union. I actually had a tweet from somebody yesterday saying why, why we should be able to mandate that any uh, union organisation has to have the word union in its title because the BMA kind of pretends it's not really a union, but it actually is. And these people are the ones calling for lockdowns. They all seem to work in the public sector. They don't seem to care about the finances of the country or how the economy is going to uh, be, be able to deal with it, as you say. And yet, here's Sajid Javid saying wear a mask inside but nobody on the Tory benches wears a mask anymore really you see very odd occasional ones being worn but basically nobody wears them inside the House of Commons which is not as far as I know one of the best ventilated buildings in the entire world. Well I think the House of Commons still has plenty of restrictions actually believe it or not in terms of the people you can bring in and out of the House of Commons I think it's one of the the few places which still have um, a degree of restriction placed over it but you're absolutely right the point you made earlier about the BMA and the NHS Confed. I look at a city like Peterborough, a working city, where, quite frankly, Mike, people need to go out to work yeah. in order to eat. And if we're kind of, and, and not, not many people had a happy lockdown, you know, they don't have big houses and, and nice gardens and, and all the rest of it. And, and telling people, the British people, that we need to go back to that, when the data suggests that we shouldn't go back to that, um, quite frankly, it is worrying. They don't need to get involved in this sort of debate and, and this 24-hour politics. They need to get on and help us get through this pandemic. Yes, exactly right. And we're told this morning, as you say by the health minister, that we should go ahead and book our Christmas parties without fear or favour as long as we get our booster jabs. Now, is this all about trying to persuade more people to get a booster jab? And if that is the case, why don't they just say so? Well, I, I think that's. I think getting the booster jabs got to be our focus. I saw a lot of the newspapers today are all about, you know, kind of jabs army again and, and that spirit. And we need to get out there. I think that's absolutely right. I think a lot of people, to be fair, um, probably thought once they'd been double jabbed, you know, that that was kind of it, and 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 the the, the challenge was over. Look, the British people have done what the government have asked them to do. They endured lockdown. They've gone and got their jabs. They've endured, you know, really really tough. Um, tough measures against their own personal liberties and personal freedoms. Mm. Um, this one last go out and get your booster jab, I think is perfectly sensible. But new lockdowns, new restrictions, that should be the very last thing we do. Yeah, but the and trouble, the trouble with all that, Paul, though, is that we've had that one last thing to do for about 18 months, haven't we? I mean, no, I, 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 tell, I, I, was, I tell people from the beginning, when I walked out of the, 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 the pub across the street back in March of last year, I said to myself, well, I suppose we can manage it for three weeks, which is what everybody thought was going to happen. Now, I know that events... 
it can't necessarily be predicted. But, you know, there was, there's been an awful lot of that. It's just one more thing, you know, to save Christmas or one more thing to save Easter, you know, one more thing uh, to save the NHS and we'll all be fine. And we're still not fine. No, I'm perf- I understand that. But if you look at the data, actually, Mike, you look at the data, things aren't as bad as, as people are painting. As I said, we've got fewer people in hospital with COVID than we had a month ago. The in- infection... Well, Sajid Javid didn't is- say that yesterday, did he? Well, no, but I think this is all about trying to encourage. I, I don't disagree with you about encourage people to get the over 50s uh, and those who are vulnerable to get that booster jab. I think that's perfectly sensible, to be honest, um, and, you know, protecting those people in that way. Mm. But this shouldn't be about restricting our personal liberties anymore. I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Mate. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Because also, I mean, Julie Hartley Brew and I were talking about this. That, you know, I'm not sure that, they, that you would get the compliance levels that you got before. I mean, yes, there will be some people who will go along with it. Uh, and those are probably the people who are still currently working working from home but an awful lot of people who are now back you know I was on the tube this morning in London absolutely rammed with people loads of people going to work loads of people quite happy to go either with a mask or without a mask even though they're now saying on the underground you must wear a mask which actually isn't true Um, but there's too many people who are now back at work I don't think they would take going back home again I think the British people have been marvellous throughout this entire thing they've gone the extra mile and I just don't think we can at this stage. Every every change in data, every change in metric, every change in um, in spike. We should we should be listening to people like the BMA and the NHS Confed saying we should lock down, we should restrict anymore. I I I've got a lot of sympathy with the idea that we should learn to live with COVID. That's what the jab and the vaccine program was all about. Because if we don't, if we do restrict, we don't learn to live with COVID, then we're going to close down the economy. That helps pay for our NHS, Mike. Mm. I mean, it's the taxes from uh, hardworking people in cities like Peterborough that pay for our NHS. So let's get let's let us get on there, yeah. open up the economy and pay those taxes. But what I'd like to see, Paul, I know a lot of people who listen to this show would also like to see. I mean, you're on the Health and Social Care Select Committee. You know, what about a complete and utter reform of the NHS? Because the, the NHS is an incredibly wasteful organisation. And when I say this to people, they look at me as if I've committed some kind of heresy. You know, what do you mean? You know, I mean, a story today, thousands of pounds of taxpayers' cash is being spent on luxuries such as National Trust passes, football tickets and playstations for NHS patients, apparently to make them all feel better. Well, that's great. But I mean, you know, it's one thing to give people free health care. You don't have to give them a free PlayStation, do you? Well, we've given all this extra money to the NHS. And for me, that extra money needs to be accompanied by, I think, efficiencies and um, and improved productivity. I think we do that in three ways. Um, I think first, we need to see a huge reduction in management. And I think that there should be a target for a reduction in management. In Peterborough, my local council shares its chief executive with Cambridgeshire County Council, but my local hospital doesn't share its uh, chief executive with another neighbouring hospital. It's got the same HR manager, the same estates manager. Um, This all amounts to lots and lots of money, and we need to be saving money on management. We need to be saving money on procedures. You know, we spend lots of money on NICE and getting it right first time to come up with the right ways of doing things but then routinely nhs trusts across the country ignore that mm. which is not right at all and we need to be saving money on clinician time as well why are gps still spending time prescribing the pill why are senior clinicians wasting their time doing procedures that nurses or uh, physician associates should do we need targets on saving clinicians time operate at the top of your speciality not at the bottom Absolutely right. And we had a caller yesterday who actually was a former uh, NHS uh, executive who said that he looked at the budget on the company's house for uh, the NHS Confederation, 15 or 16 million pounds a year, uh, which he worked out you could get you 500 nurses and about 12 to 15 uh, consultant surgeons. 
Oh, there you go. And they won't tell you exactly how we should pay for these um, economic restrictions and these lockdowns and these furlough schemes. Mm. They'll, ju they'll just ask for, for more money. This extra money from the NHS needs to come with significant reform. I'm so pleased the government have actually appointed, um, I think, an army general to look into how we do this. Yeah. Um, I've got lots of suggestions for them, Mike. I'm sure you do too. Yes. And we need to feed them in. We need That's to feed absolutely them in right. Well, stay, sure we stay where you are, Paul, because we'll, we'll get uh, some some uh, some ways of doing that. So we're talking to Paul Bristow. Uh, we're going to have a short break here at Talk Radio. He's Conservative MP for Peterborough. If you've got something you want to p tell him about, by all means, tell me uh, and I will pass it on. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The home common sense. Paul Bristow's here with us, a Conservative MP for Peterborough. Uh, he's also a member of the Health and Social Care Select Committee. Paul, let me read you this tweet that I've got uh, from somebody calling themselves teacher. Uh, I've just been for a knee x-ray, three people in reception, two radiologists and five other nurses and health professionals hanging around doing nothing. I was the only one there. We're told the NHS is struggling. Could it be anything to do with bad and wasteful management? I get a lot of this every single day. People, when they go to, to use the NHS, right now uh, particularly in GP surgeries or in these, these kind of settings there's no there's no patients around well for years um, local councils have been forced to share their senior management with neighboring councils to save money mm. our NHS hasn't had to do that and this money this extra money we put in should only come with the proviso they've got to do that and um, the other point I kind of raised earlier that we, we set up this big thing called getting it right first time GERFT and that was a big national effort led by Tim Briggs to look at the way we produce, do procedures uh, and it was supposed to improve outcomes and save money. And he did this extensive work on all sorts of different things. And unfortunately, only some NHS trusts then went and adopted his guidance. There are plenty of NHS trusts who haven't adopted his guidance, saying things like, it doesn't work here, or it's not been invented here, we've got an alternative system. But why spend all that money and appoint those people with that experience to look into these things and then not adopt his findings. Mm. I think that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely right. And there's all sorts of opportunities to do that. And this is what I mean by having a proper kind of conversation about the reform of parts of the NHS that aren't working properly. Because in this day and age, we've got no excuses, really, uh, to not be more efficient. But it seems to me an awful lot of it is run as if we're still in the 1970s. Well, I think that's right. I mean, one of the one of the comments that came to me on the Health Select Committee is that we had during lockdown um, three years worth of innovation um, over three months. And a lot of that was forced upon the NHS, you know, things like Zoom for outpatient appointments and things like that. But, you know, innovation is not just about replacing GP appointments, you know, um, via Zoom, um, GP face to face appointments via Zoom. It's about doing things differently. It's also making sure that our clinicians operate at the top of their profession. Mm. You know, we want surgeons basically in the cath lab operating on people. We don't want to hear any more stories about surgeons only spending one day a week in the cath lab. They need to be there performing these procedures and, and, and getting us through this. We also don't want GPs focusing 40% of their time, and this is why I've got a bit of sympathy with them, 40% of their time doing fitness notes mm. or releasing medical records. If the government can improve and legislate to, to save them all this kind of unnecessary bureaucracy, then that allows them to then go and see patients face to face and do the things that they're being paid for, quite yeah, frankly. Absolutely. Just off on a, on a different subject, really, Paul, um, the terrible events uh, of last Friday uh, resulting in the murder of, of Tory MP Sir David Amis um, have obviously shocked the world really probably shocked uh, you guys inside parliament more than anything what's your view on sort of the whole 
debate around safety for MPs and, and uh, you know, constituency surgeries and that kind of thing? Well, I, I knew Sir David Evans for, for 20 years and, you know, that attack really did hit home because just before um, I got the news of that attack, I was doing um, I was doing my own constituency mm. surgery. I'm not trying to make this about me in any way, no. but it does um, kind of make you feel, you know, slightly vulnerable. But to be honest, I, I live in Peterborough. You know, this is my city. This is where I go shopping, where I go to the pub, where I go to the restaurant. Am I going to have a burly mind every time I pop down, you know, the dog and duck for a pint? Mm. I mean, that's just, 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 just not practical. No. Um, I think there's certain things you can do, you know, about making sure people register before surgery appointments. But even on that, I'm doing a surgery a week on Friday in Asda. And part of the fact, part of my reason I want to do these surgeries, just as well as helping people, is also to be seen to be visible mm. um, and for people to see me as approachable. And I think the best way, actually, uh, Mike, to honour Sir David is to follow his, follow his example. He was a hard-working, visible MP, and that's what I want to be. Yes, and the other big story coming up next week, I guess, is the uh, the Rishi Sunak um, awesome statement. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are very worried about tax rises, and the Tories keep telling us that they don't like putting taxes up, but they still keep doing it. Um, you know, what faith can we have uh, in the future for uh, this government if all they're going to do is keep asking for more and more money offers? Well, Look, it's no surprise to you, Mike, that I'm very much a low-tax Conservative. That's one of the reasons I joined the Conservative Party, because I instinctively believe that people know best how to spend their own money. That's what makes me uh, a Conservative. And so that's when when the Chancellor was looking for ideas and uh, and the spending review, my idea was very much what we're talking about today, you know, putting some KPIs Mm. against this extra money that we're giving to the NHS. Otherwise, it's just going to go to the block, quite frankly, and be mm. spent on you know that, that middle management. And that is not a conservative way of doing things. No, absolutely right. Well, listen, Paul, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. We might be down in the tent of uh, common sense on uh, Wednesday, so come and, uh, come and pay us a visit over in College Green if you're around. It would be good to see you again. Paul Bristow, Conservative MP for Peterborough, member of the Health and Social Care Select Committee. You know, um, the reform of the NHS is long overdue. No question about it. I'd like to hear your stories today. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, Jamie Jenkins is here with us, our favourite statistician, formerly, of course, from the ONS, political commentator as well. Jamie, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. I think um, watching the, the government briefing in the pub is probably the best place to be, I think, <laughs> watching yesterday. I kept waiting for something interesting to happen, and it sort of just didn't, you know. I, I, I was sitting with a couple of guys from work, and I said, when's, when's this going to get, you know, when's he going to say anything that actually means anything? It didn't, there was nothing really in it at all. It was literally the most boring and dull series of uh, uh, of statistics rolled out I think that I've ever seen and it's got some pretty stiff competition No I think so Mike uh, normally when they call these press conferences is to make an announcement and I'm not sure if this was to kind of rebut a lot of the media and then you've got kind of the people who are for these kind of lockdowns calling for plan B so why don't we just start with plan B Mike? Yeah. because obviously plan B is vaccine passports working from home mandatory masks now I live over the border in Wales We've got practically all three of those. We've got slightly different to the vaccine passports where mm. you've got vaccine passes where you can kind of show a lateral flow test that is negative. But ultimately, Wales has plan B. Mm. Wales has higher cases than England. Cases are slightly rising in Wales over the last few weeks. Mm. So I think all these people are saying, let's get plan B in England. I don't think it's going to have a significant impact, Mike, in terms of when you look at the data from Wales. No. Well, the one piece of data that I didn't hear yesterday from Sajid Javid, I heard this morning from Paul Bristow MP, and I don't know if you, you were able to hear what he said, uh, but which is that the, the number of, um, uh, of deaths is so much lower 
right now uh, than it than it than it was back in uh, in January. That the number of people in hospital or the increases in the number of infections is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, so so let's talk through the numbers then, Mike. Yeah. Let's look at the hospital figures to start with. So we currently have about 6,300 patients in beds in England with COVID. Right. Now, at its peak in January, it was over 34,000. So, you yeah. know, you're talking 6,000 versus 34,000, yeah. less than a fifth of the total. Old, yeah. yeah, less than a fifth of the total. Now, remember as well, now NHS England have started publishing some information that's been called for, which is looking at how many patients are in hospital, test positive, but not in for COVID. And about a quarter of those patients, those 6,000, are in hospital, not for COVID, but they've tested positive mm. because obviously it's spreading through the community. So we've got about 4,500 patients overall. Now, patients in mechanical ventilated beds, they're the more serious ones. Again, we've got 746 of those at the moment. It's less than a fifth of the, the peak that we had. And I think the more important figure we need to focus on, Mike, really, in terms of is the NHS going to be overrun, is that... Uh, if we just look at the latest data that we had a week ago, um, we've got 88,000 beds in the NHS overall. Mm. We've got 4.7% of them had COVID patients in. 89.6% of them had non-COVID patients in. But we had more empty beds in the NHS last week than we had the whole number of COVID really? patients. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, See, these this are the is why we get you on, Jamie, because about. you're the guy that tells us what's really going on. Well, why don't we hear any of this from the government? Well, I think part of it, Mike, is because there's all this kind of the scaremonger. They, they're worried now. That we've, we have seen a rise in cases over the last couple of weeks, but they're still below kind of July's peak. Well, yeah, but let's, uh, let's, let's half... forget about the cases word. Let's say we've had a rise in the number of people testing positive, shall we? Well, that's, yeah, that's true, Mike, actually. Yeah, we've got, and, and, a, and a good thing, I suppose, with regards to looking at the positivity in terms of the numbers is the vaccine clearly does have an effect. I think we, we the UK would get more out of the booster vaccines for kind of the vulnerable people, because we have seen now that nearly half of over 80s in England have had a booster vaccine. The, the evidence from Israel, Mike, is that the booster does help with these, especially among the vulnerable people. And we've seen the cases that have been rising in older people, kind of the, the increase in cases has kind of slowed down. Mm. So I think you're going to get more from the booster rollout for vulnerable people. I'm not saying to vaccinate the whole population again, yeah. but for the vulnerable people, because remember, Mike, we still know that over 82% of all the deaths in the UK are people over the age of 70. And, and, and a figure that gets talked about, I think that's why the UK now is on some banned list mm. for some foreign countries again, is that, we get in all these cases in the UK now com compared to Europe, but we test far more than the rest right. of Europe. So we, well, that's my worry, really right? Bad. Because my, my sort of nightmare scenario uh, is thanks to this ridiculous testing regime, you know, we will once again become the sort of plague nation and places like the United States of America where I'm planning to go to see my mother are going to say, you can't come. I think exactly that, Mike. And if you actually look at the death figures, Mike, just for some context, the UK is currently running about the same as the EU level. We look like we're really bad compared to the EU because we're testing loads more, but the number of deaths aren't the thing. So so I think, Mike, when you look at the figures overall, yeah, let's not just focus on cases. Let's look at deaths. Deaths are considerably lower, about 90% lower than what they would be. I think some people have forgotten in the NHS or the people who are calling for all of these extra restrictions is mm. this time last year, Things did get pretty bleak. We, you know, cases did rise around this time last year, but we didn't have a vaccine. We were told, let's have the vaccine rollout. The vaccine clearly does have an effect. You know, they pushed vaccines out to children. I know there's been a low uptake from that. I don't think we need to be vaccinating the children. Mm. We've got the booster vaccines. You know, you can't keep saying vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. And, and Mike, this is an important figure, I suppose, is that why are we in this position? Well, we give 150 billion a year to the NHS. Mm. We've given an extra 62 billion in the last year for COVID. But we still ended up in a position, Mike, where 
that's about 246 beds for every thousand people, sorry, for every hundred thousand people in the UK. And it's over 800 in Germany and over nearly 600 in France. So we give all this money to the NHS, but we're still in a bleak position compared to these countries. So yeah, from what you're saying, we've got a lot of empty beds right now, so we don't really need any more beds, do we? We just need a better run NHS. I mean, that's what we need, because one of the reasons where uh, uh, they were worried the beds were going to run out, which they never did, by the way, um, is that they took a third of them out for social distancing. Yeah, and, and that, again, that's another issue, Mike, isn't it? Taking these kind of beds. So we've got fewer beds now than we had at the start of the pandemic, in particular because of all of that. But I think, obviously, you've done your calls. Germany moved away from saying that, looking at cases several months back now, Mike, to say we're going to look at the impact on our hospitals. And the chances of the impact on Germany is going to be pretty low because they've got a lot more beds. But you're right, we've got empty beds at the moment. I think people are concerned that, you know, if we do get 100,000 cases a day, the, the NHS won't be able to cope. But I think, again, Mike, that's where the vaccine comes in, because say we did hit 100,000 cases a day. And if you just look at the, the number of admissions now in relation to cases, well, we probably have about 1,700 admissions a day. And again, that's below the peak yeah. of winter. And yeah. we managed to survive last winter. I think the biggest issue, Mike, we've talked about it previously, is, you know, if you go back 2018, 17, 16, 15, 14, every year, media, newspapers, they're always in front of the Guardian. The NHS is overwhelmed, yeah. kind of cope. That is the biggest Yeah, I mean, that's what we get every... I'm sick to death of hearing it, you know, because it wasn't overwhelmed last year. And if it wasn't overwhelmed last year, it never will be, right? So it has the capacity. It has perfectly uh, cap capable uh, needs uh, to be filled. There's nothing that we need to give them extra. And all we have to do is make sure that they run the organisation properly. It's, it's really that simple, isn't it? No, I, I, exactly that, Mike. I think, you know, a root and branch review of, of the NHS, I think, you know, the, the MP on just now was talking about looking at the, the structure of the management in the NHS. It must be, you know, clearly bureaucracy going mad with regards to the budget. You know, it's a huge amount of money going into this, Mike. And and it's not just the kind of the hospital side of things. We've talked about the GP side of things. I think the important thing to remember, all those people calling for Plan B, Plan B, well, if we did implement Plan B, they won't be happy with that. They'd be calling yeah. for Plan C, D, E. But also Some all these cobblers might... about, oh, just get the last, very last thing we need to do is get the booster jab. You know, well, really? Are you sure? Because if that's the case and they reckon that, that, that these vaccines have a shelf life, then presumably uh, in sort of, I don't know, April or May, they're going to say get another booster. No, we, and we can't keep kind of jabbing people forever, Mike, with regards to all this. If you're vulnerable, you know, getting the vaccine clearly is the way forward. You know, and the flu vaccine, the, 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 the death rate from COVID is looking similar to the flu now. And we don't force the flu vaccine on everybody. I think ultimately, Mike, you know, some people will never be happy until we've got kind of lockdowns back in. We've had the vaccine rollout, very successful. Get the booster if you know if you're vulnerable and, and in regards to all of that let's not just look about cases let's look at the hospitalizations and deaths and things aren't as bad as what being painted by many of the national media outlets and you know mike this as soon is as the question come up no and as soon as the questions come to the Sajid javid yesterday you know the journalists in the room are all kind of saying well why aren't we going to go into lockdown the same things it happens in wales mike as soon as we have the next briefing, they'll be saying to Mark Rayford, why aren't you locking down? You know, I think the important thing here is the data showing that the vaccine is clearly having an effect. Things aren't as bleak as what is being painted with the rest of Europe because no. we're testing a lot more and we have got some capacity in the NHS. Yeah, it's absolutely nothing to be concerned about as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Jamie, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jamie Jenkins, independent statistician there, uh, giving us the real figures and the real reason why uh, that we're not anywhere near having to have more restrictions or have any kind of lockdown, because quite frankly, there's no requirement for it. It's that simple. When are people going to get it into their thick heads that this is not a crisis anymore?
0344-499-1000. Mike says, why is COVID more important than cancer, heart disease and other terrible conditions? Why should we save the NHS when they should be saving us? Our political elites have failed us time and again with so many billions wasted. What next? Oh, the same again. Idiots. Exactly. This is Talk Radio. 
uh, engagements in 13 days, which is quite a lot if you consider the travel. Yeah. And the effort of making conversation with people that you don't know and to be polite and to ask the yes. right questions. Oh, it is so. an awful lot. Oh, it really is. And I guess it doesn't help matters that because the royal family is sort of slightly denuded now because Harry's not around and Andrew can't go and do anything. I mean, you know, they're sort of two down. Prince Philip's gone. You know, there's not many people that she can hand over the baton to, are there? Well, she has handed over masses to Prince Charles and Camilla and also to William and Catherine. Yeah. And they're doing a lot more for her. Mm. And you can tell when it's for her or when it's their own engagements, when they say representing the Queen. So it means they've taken over that yeah. job and right. another one. But okay. they can only do so much. And we see them every day traveling and talking and being um, charming. Uh. It, it, it's, 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 it's not easy being a royal, actually, because everyone, you're always up for criticism when really you're, you're working your socks off. Yeah, absolutely right. And the pictures of the two of them are quite touching, aren't they? Who? Of, um, of, of William and Kate. Yes, they're lovely, actually. And, mm. and some of them are taken without them posing. It's just how they are naturally yes. together. And they are totally at ease with each other. And I think that now William has lost a lot of the nervousness and um, spotness of being a royal. And yeah. he's now really um, a loving husband and he loves being a father. And that's really changed him. And I think a lot of that is is thanks to picking the right wife who brings out the best in you. Well, And I think she's there <laughs> to support him and, and actually... Um, make him feel good about what he's doing. Yes, no, I think that's absolutely right. You're laughing right. at me. Well, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm smiling because I know what's going to come next because uh, we are going to talk about the Harry and Meghan scenario because there's a guy who clearly didn't perhaps choose the right woman for that kind of thing. Yes. And that's why I was smiling because in the papers this morning, uh, we are hearing that Meghan has written a letter um, to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, and uh, who's a quite a famous woman in her own right, and US uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader, uh, because, of course, she couldn't just write a letter to any old uh, politician. She'd have to write it to, to the two of the highest sort of uh, members of the Democratic Party. And it's not any old letter. It's a thousand-word letter about how she wants um, her family to be looked after by the government's policies on maternity leave. It's quite extraordinary. Well, I think it's yet another shock from Meghan, which has got loads of publicity, which is obviously one aim of it. Mm. Um, she's abused the royal, being a, a British royal or, you know, working as a British royal, mm. um, because uh, she's she's actually trying to tell another government what to do. Yeah. Uh, the head, heading on the newspaper is the office of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, yes. which is um, definitely an abuse. The other thing is she takes on different types. You know, she becomes a sort of young um, sort of guru, yeah. saying that she understands how all these families feel. She's representing all the families. How does she know that? I mean, this is Meghan taking the, the global view again. Um, yeah, I mean, most people who goes, have children don't actually have two nannies, a couple of butlers, a driver, a security mm. detail, uh, a 16 bed. And 16 bathrooms. 16 bathroom, nine bedroom mansion in uh, Montecito. 
Yes. I mean, but she said she really sympathises because she and Harry were overwhelmed when they had Lily. Of course they were. They don't call her Lily Bet. I don't know anyone who's not overwhelmed by a child. I mean, it's right. very, very... Yeah, but it, I mean, as I said, I mean, it is a little bit easier if you've got round-the-clock um, slaves to help you out. Yes. But she's also trying to get a policy put through of parental leave, paying the government to pay parental leave, when it's already gone through, actually. The, the thing they haven't decided is how long each family can use it for. But she's sort of jumped on the bandwagon, as she often does, and so that she can claim it was my letter, what done it. Yes. Um, but also the signature at the end. Well, this is a professional letter to senior politicians, mm. and the signature is end by her. I said, uh, also by... Uh, Archie, Lily and Harry. Their mm. husband's put at the end. <laughs> but surely Archie and Lily aren't yet involved in um, having parental leave. Yes. It is remarkably sort of... And I mean, people will say to me, oh, you're always picking on Meghan. You know, well, not really. It's just remarkably self-absorbed. Everything she does is just ridiculously kind of focused on her, not really on anybody else. And that's what she wants, right? Yeah, that's exactly what she wants. I mean, she's also pretending that when she was young, she didn't have any money and the most expensive restaurant she could go to was for $5. Four ninety nine dollars Sizzler salad bar. Yeah, well, you know, that's all right. But but her father was spending 28000 a year for her to go to a school. She was very well looked after. Her mother didn't have to work after she had Megan. Yeah. She was comfortably middle class. And here she is trying to pretend that she knows all about poverty. As you say, it's all about me, 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 me. And it's incredibly annoying. It really is incredibly annoying. And that's why we always point it out because, you know, and also she knows very well that Nancy Pelosi is of a similar kind of bent. And Nancy Pelosi loves a bit of publicity. So she'll love the idea that she's had the letter. And so no doubt the next step will be, why don't you come to Washington and we can yeah. have you address the Senate about the issue of childcare or some nonsense, right? This is what she wants, of course. Yeah. I mean, she really does want to try being a politician, but she also wants to make films. She also wants to star in them. She also wants to tell people how to invest their money. Yeah. I mean, the list is becoming Write the endless. theme tune, sing the theme tune, all that, you know. It's amazing. Um, and, and actually, um, nothing really gets done. You know, you dip in and dip out, because I think she's very, very restless. Mm. And she doesn't concentrate on one thing to try and make that go well. Well, it seems it's as though she's better. always she's a bit of a gadfly-like, isn't she? She doesn't settle mm. on anything for very long. Suddenly, there's always something new to be done. You know, we've got a podcast over here. We've only done one. Let's go and do a series over there. Let's do another book over here. Let's write a letter to uh, the Capitol uh, building. And in, write uh, a book. Yeah, write another and book. You know, do let's make another trip. You know, it's just it's, it's a kind of. I would suggest it's the actions of somebody um, who hasn't got enough to do. Well, I think it's an act, the actions of somebody who's desperate to be noticed. Mm. And she just has to be on the front pages. And she succeeds very well. We, you know, time after time, she shocks us so much that we put it on the front page, analyse it, tell her off, and then wait for the next blow. Well, she's, not, um, she's going to be disappointed today because she's been beaten to the front page by both um, Wills and, and Kate and the Queen. And she's back yeah. on page 13, the Daily Mail, I'm afraid. <laughs> she'll, write, she'll note that down, I'm sure. Why isn't Robert Hardman writing about me? You know, yeah. amazing. Good stuff. Well, Angela, lovely to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, royal biographer there uh, on the vagaries of being part of the royal family or not.
uh, indeed. And of course, the Queen uh, is, I'm sure, going to be absolutely fine. But she does work an awful lot harder than she needs to, I think, at the age of 95, don't you? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So there I was uh, watching the Sajid Javid briefing in the pub. Best place to be. Uh, somebody said earlier, you know, if only that was one of those Carlsberg things. If they did press briefings, they'd say over to Mike Graham, who's now in the pub. But that's not how they do it. Instead, they use much more professional people like Kate Ferguson, deputy political editor at The Sun, who was at the briefing uh, and who did actually ask a question. Kate, very good afternoon to you. Hi, good to be with you. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, it was an interesting thing. Am I right to say that I think it's the first proper briefing that Sajid Javid's done since before the summer, really? Yeah, I think you're right, actually. We used to have these briefings every day mm. in uh, sort of lockdown one. I'm sure everyone remembers tuning in at 4 or 5 p.m. But this is the first one we had in quite a while. And actually, because of that, there was quite a lot to chew on and a lot well, for the government to say and a lot for us to ask them about. Well, well, there was, yeah, because before he got to the stage, um, as I call it, you know, there was an awful lot of um, sort of rumour mill type stuff going around that this was going to be quite serious. It was going to be the announcement of some more restrictions and, you know, the numbers weren't looking very good. And, you know, it might be that he, he won't go all the way to saying there'll be a lockdown, but he might bring masks back or make a mandatory thing for that. But it, it, it wasn't really that intense, was it? We've had this before, right? I mean, we, it's been a little while since COVID has been on the front pages and since we had these daily press conferences. So, so just to sort of remind uh, your listeners where we are, um, the government have said plan A is to live as we currently live right. and everyone get the booster jabs. But they have this plan B up their sleeve mm. and plan, plan B is basically back to masks, back to home working and vaccine passports and so we're, we're, as those numbers creep up Sajid yesterday talked about the possibility of 100,000 COVID cases a day we're waiting to see do they push the button on this plan B mm. that's the main thrust but also I think as we approach winter people are starting to think is there a plan C yeah. lurking behind somewhere could we see a return to those more draconian restrictions from last year so yes. as we head into winter we're, we're sort of feeling out where the government's going next right. Exactly. Well, that was my question this morning at the top of the show, is what are they really up to? Because it's kind of slightly puzzling to me. I was speaking to our, one of our correspondents in, in Wales, Jamie Jenkins, who used to be with the ONS, and he was saying that Plan B basically is already in effect in Wales. Um, and in fact, they've got higher numbers than we have. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's probably like different reasons for the way the virus sort of plays out in different parts of the country. But I suppose... Um, <laughs> It's not a panacea, is it? No. I mean, well, that's the thing. The I mean, my, I suppose my point is, is that if they were to say, right, we're going to make you wear a mask again, we're going to make you um, social distance, we're going to make you work from home, there's no real evidence that that actually does anything. Well, I think the scientists will say there is evidence that that does work. I guess the question becomes, does the public accept it, mm. given that we do have the vaccine now? And also, can we make a success of plan A without having to go to plan B? Yeah. So I think there is genuinely a big push, um, a huge push by the government, you know, encourage people to get the jab, really build on the boosters and hope that if you can really see those rates rocket and make sure that uh, that you get a sort of wall of immunity as they call mm. it with the vaccine you don't have to revert to those more extreme measures no. certainly 
those measures are really unpopular among Tory MPs. They would be really, really loath to see them come in. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, we were speaking to one of them this morning uh, who was very unhappy about the fact, Paul Bristow, very unhappy about the fact that the NHS is kind of trying to bounce the government into putting more restrictions on. And that appears to be what they're doing because we heard from NHS, uh, the NHS Confederation people yesterday um, who are effectively not really a clinical body. You know, they're not a medical part of the NHS. They're run by a guy who used to work for Tony Blair. You know, so there's a lot of sort of politics going on here, isn't there? That's totally true. I mean, today you've had the BMA say, go to plan B. Um, it's negligent of you not to. Mm. But there's huge anger among Tory backbenchers. And I think probably frustration with lots of ministers as well, that as, at the first sign of trouble, people are just immediately pushing for these really draconian restrictions. If you go back 18 months and talked about the idea of lockdown or even forcing people to wear masks mm. or work from home, you know, this would be seen as a total encroachment of the state onto individual liberties. The last 18 months has obviously sort of changed the equation there. Mm. But given we do have a vaccine that works, there is an alternative. Yeah. I think everyone would far prefer us as a country to pull together again and make a success of that rather than reach for these kind of far more draconian and yeah. far more intrusive measures. Yes. Oh, I think there's definitely a different uh, different attitude, I think, as well, with people certainly getting in touch with us today here at Talk Radio saying, you know, we won't do it. You know, if they try and make us do another lockdown for Christmas, you know, we're not doing it because they've had enough, basically. They've, and, I, and, and, and my sense is I don't think the government wants to do that. The government does not want another lockdown, right? And interestingly, I mean, we, we've got so used to sort of lockdowns, like ruled out, then then eventually brought in, yeah. that we're probably a bit jaded when we talk about that. Right. But it's important to remember that when they um, dropped a lot of this legislation a little while ago, they need to re-legislate to bring in a lockdown. So it is not as simple as just pressing the button anymore. They would have to go back to Parliament, have a discussion, have a vote. Right. So at least you have that sort of safeguard again. Yes, because that was a sort of strange um, happening this week, wasn't it? When they were due to vote on the extension of the Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act and then they kind of just decided not to bother having the vote. And I was talking about it the following day with people and nobody was quite sure whether that meant that because they haven't been renewed, they now no longer exist or because they haven't been renewed, they're just going to sort of peter out. Yeah, exactly. I think that the... Um... I'd have to go back and remember the details, but I think a lot of the guts of that legislation have been pulled out by yes, the government. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so they pulled quite so a lot of the stuff. it doesn't do what it used to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely so pulled sort of... about three of the main sort of hard line, what you might call hard line things out of it. So, But it's just nobody's quite sure really where, where we are. But what was your sense, Kate, yesterday? I mean, obviously you're in and out of Downing Street all the time and, and you have an ability, I presume, to sort of, you know, catch the mood, if you like. What was the mood and what is the mood inside there? I thought that actually Sajid was very sort of, I don't want to say he was gloomy because he was also hopeful that we could pull together and make mm. a success of the boosters. But I think Sajid had some harsh words for the country. They mm. sort of putting us on notice, isn't he? Yes. But if we don't hurry up, pull together like we did earlier this year, get the vaccine, make a success of it, then we could see more measures introduced this winter. Mm. And I think it's, we've seen them do this before when they sort of, give you a it's this it's a sort of um there's a sort of fork in the road mm. and i don't want to say he's trying to scare the country into having a jab but they're certainly trying to cajole trying to give you a sort of rude awakening yeah. into getting the jab and i think that that's probably quite important because you know the rates are pretty bad yeah. we've gone from being the you know the fastest vaccinating country in the world pretty much 
to not being one immunity is waning and right. i just think that obviously it can be a bit of a hassle sometimes to sort of go to the doctor book in but we have to remember that um just just what freedom the jab has given us well that's true but i mean it didn't give it to us for a long time and and you know we were told at the beginning that it would give us complete and utter freedom and in fact it was the way out of everything but when people were double jabbed they still couldn't really go anywhere for quite a long time you know it's a bit better now mm. but the other worry i've got is that if this kind of continual because the testing regimen is still very very high in this country much more so than anywhere else and there may well be just as many infected people uh, who would test positive in france if they were tested but you know they're not testing them the same way we are so i worry that somehow uh, you know boris will talk our way into another kind of you know pariah state where everybody around the world says oh we can't have anyone from britain coming because uh, you know i want to go to america for christmas and i've already you know yeah. sorted it out <laughs> i don't want to be like you know sitting here going i can't go yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think that the thing to remember is that while the case rates can be very scary and high, the thing to really watch out for is hospitalisation yes. and death rates. Yes, and those because are very do, low, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, but they are creeping up. But if you do take the sting out of COVID by making it a disease that you sort of like uh, live with, can make you a bit poorly, but doesn't kill you, doesn't put you in hospital, yeah. then um, then there's, there's no major problem with those high case rates. Um, and, but you're right about the testing as well. You know, half terms coming up, you will see testing go down because pupils are tested when they go to school. Right. So, and that was know, meant that to come to an end, that. wasn't it? I mean, I know my own my own kids' school was supposed to be reviewing at the end of September whether they were going to continue with testing, and I haven't heard what the end of result of that was. I mean, almost certainly they will continue, right? What is clear is that they were contemplating sort of reigning, uh, scaling back the testing a lot, probably yeah. to cut costs. There was talk about introducing charging. All that has been dropped, at least for the winter. Mm. In fact, Sajid last night, desperately pleading with Brits to voluntarily test themselves, you know, twice a week with these lateral flow tests you get from the NHS. So clearly they are worried and clearly they're hoping these sort of less intrusive measures if taken up a bit more widely can crack down on the disease early enough yeah and it's been a quite strange week i imagine for everyone in the parliamentary world because of what happened uh, last friday uh, and the murder of sir david uh, amos um what's it been like for you you know talking to a lot of the the mps they're obviously quite shocked and, and, and shaken by what happened and obviously we've seen pretty Patel talking about getting more protections for them I mean most MPs I talk to say well we can't really see the point of having sort of round-the-clock bodyguards it doesn't really work so I don't really see that changing do you no I think so to talk about the mood at first mm. we were I was here on Friday when that happened um obviously the mood has been horrible because of that mm. a real shock and actually, when you, what's quite depressing is if you, when you write the story or talk to people, and you can see that this happens about once every five years mm. now, an MP dies or nearly dies because they've been attacked, usually on a Friday constituency surgery. Mm. Happened to Sir David. It's what happened to Joe Cox. Um, before that, Stephen Timms had been attacked. There's a depressing pattern to it, I suppose, of extremists. Um, you know, swooping on the availability of a local MP mm. to get to inflict them harm. I think that was a real, obviously, it was incredibly shocking for everybody here. Sir David was like a hugely popular politician, had served the people of Essex in two different constituencies for 40 years, hugely well liked by Tory MPs, 
by Labour MPs. No one had a bad word to say about him. It sounds a bit trite saying that about someone after they've passed away, but but genuinely true. And I think if anybody saw those tributes in the Commons, you would have got a sense of like the the humour and the sort of charm of the man. which I thought was like quite poignant and lovely. In terms of looking at um, how MPs are feeling about their own safety and what can be done about that. Look, I think whenever you have an incident like that, you had the same with Joe Cox, suddenly MPs think, gosh, we're targets too. Mm. On some level, they know that all the time, but this time it sort of really hits home. Um, What can then be done by their safety? Well, MPs highly regard their availability to constituents they love being constituency mps they like getting out into the local community speaking to people they don't want a wall of steel around them so there's going to be i think a a practical problem about well what extra security can you give them and a reluctance i think for them not to be available Mm. you might see a few things like you might see some mps maybe ask for some police presence on those friday surgeries particularly if they're not pre-booked you're going to see more mps probably making sure that who they see on the Friday surgeries have to go through a sort of booking process so that you're not having people just sort of turn up on the door. But, you know, David did that and it it didn't save him. So it is hard to know what can be done. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Kate, this weekend, it's always interesting to see what the Sunday papers get up to. There'll be all sorts of briefings going on, no doubt, tomorrow. Um, Are we in a kind of um, a holding pattern, do you think, in terms of what's going to come out over the next week or so? Is it just keeping an eye on the numbers to see what they're going to react to and all that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're going to see probably more coming out of the government in terms of trying to encourage and cajole people to get the jab. I think they'll see where that lands. You've got to give that time to yield results. Um, And then in terms of the Sunday papers, we've got the budget next week, um, which, I mean, we're a bit broke, but the budget's always a big (laughs) story. (laughs) So um, I think we're going to be sniffing around to see what Rishi's going to be doing in that budget. Mm, Uh, I imagine Rishi, the the spending envelope is pretty tight. I think Rishi will be focusing on what tweaks can the state do to try and leave a sort of private investment into the country, increase our productivity without spending billions Mm. on unproven projects. So I think that will be sort of where we end up. Yeah, I think that's right. Kate, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Kate Ferguson, Deputy Political Editor at The Sun, uh, who was at the briefing yesterday, of course, telling us about the mood uh, in Downey Street. Sajid Javid, quite gloomy, she said, but also kind of partly hopeful that it won't get any worse. And it doesn't need to get any worse. I think that is the point. My question of what is it that they are up to is still an interesting one. It still hangs in the air because I don't even know for sure if the government know what they're up to. The sense is that they certainly don't want to have a lockdown. But, of course, we know we've been there before. That doesn't mean they won't. I really don't think anyone would pay attention to it, though, would they? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.